it's more insidious than you might think. Um, for example, you know that here in Ramat Bet Shemesh, there are many fine Orthodox families where there's a child who's at risk, off the derech, hanging out in the parks, disaffected, neglected, abused. They feel like an outsider. Are they difficult targets? I don't think so. Someone comes up to them, makes friends, has a relationship with them, introduces them to another friend. And another friend at some point says, well, how about you try my synagogue? It's a bit of a different experience. Maybe you'll like it. And it goes on from there. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. Towards the end of April, the Jewish world was rocked by the revelation that a supposed Haredi rabbi, Mohel and Sofer, living in Yerushalayim, Michael L. Cohen, was actually not Jewish at all. He was an undercover Christian missionary named Michael Elk. He had long claimed that he was a Balchuva from the United States, but it became clear that he had no Jewish ancestry at all, that he was a believing Christian, and that the so-called yeshiva that he had opened, Yerim Ha'am, was actually a seminary which was designed to train other Messianic rabbis who would pose as Orthodox Jews while secretly working to transmit a belief in Jesus. Making the story even more complicated, I'll use the term even crazier, is the fact that Michael's wife, Amanda, died from cancer several months ago in Jerusalem. And it now turns out, Amanda was also an imposter, pretending with her husband to be a balat tshuva, when in fact, she was a Gentile from Washington State without any Jewish ancestry whatsoever. There were various organizations and individuals who were investigating the Elks, But as I understand it, they were reluctant to publicize their findings out of concern for the Elks' five children who attended ultra-Orthodox schools. Obviously, like their parents, though, they were non-Jews, but these were ultimately innocent victims of this ruse. But when one of the children talked to a friend in school about Jesus, things started to unravel. A neighbor of mine, Amanda Bradley, lives here in Ramapet Shemesh and was a close friend of Amanda Elks. In fact, she stayed with her in the hospital the Shabbat before Amanda Elk died. She knows the story of the Elks as well as probably anyone, and is determined to work to make sure that Michael doesn't try to infiltrate another Orthodox community, which actually might be just what he's trying to do. Before we get to the interview, let me remind you to please subscribe to the Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please like the Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join and participate in the Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. Also go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the Orthodox Conundrum. Just search for the Orthodox Conundrum, give it between zero and five stars, I hope five, and write a sentence or two. I'd also like to ask you to become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are available only to subscribers. We're adding new features to Patreon all the time, including, coming up very soon, AMA, Ask Me Anything. You'll also be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, halakhically committed, and honest orthodoxy. So make sure you sign up to Patreon right away. It's just a few bucks a month, and you can cancel at any time. We're looking forward to your joining our team on Jewish Coffee House. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to reach hundreds or even thousands of listeners? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast. 
and Jewish Coffee House can help you start. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in a single day or, alternatively, record, relax, and let us do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffee House Productions will work for you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let us help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. Amanda Bradley is a freelance content writer living in Beit Shemesh, Israel, with her family. Originally from the UK, she's passionate about history, Jewish education, and justice. I was very grateful to Amanda for telling me what she knows about this, frankly, insane story. And on the next episode of The Orthodox Conundrum, I'll be doing a part two where I interview Rabbi Tovia Singer, the director of the counter-missionary organization Outreach Judaism. Amanda Bradley, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. This story obviously is very painful for everybody, but for you in particular, you had a relationship with the Elkoans as they are known. The real names are the Elks. But could you just briefly tell our listeners what actually the story is as you understand it? What happened? Okay. Um, hmm, hard to know where to begin. Amanda Alcoen, Elk, and I were friends. She died of cancer, right, a few months ago, as generally known. Um, I was with her throughout her cancer treatments. Um, I went with her to oncology appointments. I was with her in the hospital, in the ICU for the last Shabbat of her life. Um, she was intubated on a Shabbat. I had gone to visit her on Friday afternoon. And while I was there, the doctor said, look, you know, it's likely we're going to have to intubate you during Shabbat. Her husband, Michael, wasn't going to be able to be with her for Shabbat. And I said, do you want me to stay? Um, And she said, yeah, I'm scared. I want you to stay. So I said, okay. I raced home. I grabbed my things. I told my family, I'm not going to be here for Shabbat. I raced back. I was with her for Shabbat. I just mentioned that, I guess, just to establish that I thought we were close friends. Obviously so. This was the extent of it. That's pretty close to be with somebody on their deathbed, effectively. Effectively, yeah. The day after her shiver ended, I got a call from a friend. You got a call from a friend, etc., um, telling me that Amanda and her husband, Michael, had come to Israel as secret missionaries and that it wasn't clear. At that point, what I was told, it wasn't, we weren't sure. It wasn't clear whether they were Jewish or not. Obviously, it was a huge shock. I really didn't know what to do with the information. It was, these were two completely different, two completely different stories of the same person that I needed to somehow assimilate into one, <laughs> one person. I spent a lot of time that we had a small group of friends. We all sort of got this message about the same time. We spent a lot of time talking about it. People who were friends with Amanda as well. Yes. Yes. My nature is that I like to know. I like to find things out. I'm not very good with uncertainty. So I started um, doing my own digging. Um, at that point, I wasn't in touch with, with Beinenu, who had, who had been doing this what is Benenu? for the sorry Benenu is an anti-missionary organization um and they had been investigating the elks and other hidden missionaries for the i think the last couple of years i forget exactly what year they were established are they the group that told you initially that this was going on or was it someone else no no it was someone else okay. so i did my own research and i well, actually, first I spoke to Michael. I sent my Michael, Amanda's husband, Elk, Michael, Michael Elk. Elk a message. Exactly. 
I wasn't particularly close to Michael. It was Amanda who was my friend, but obviously Amanda was not here anymore for me to talk to her about it. I sent him a message saying, look, I've heard very confusing things and, you know, can you explain this to me? And he said, yes, it's true. They came as missionaries. He said they'd done Shuvah, but they are Jewish. They really are Jewish. If you've been following the story, you'll know that he had been posing as a Mokobal and a rabbi and a Moel and a Sofer and claiming that he was a Kohen, that he was descended from the Ari, and that he was distantly related from the Baba, to the Baba Sali. So now he was telling you that the stories were true in a sense, that he once had been a missionary, but that's no longer true, and he's fully Jewish. And while he once had been a Christian missionary, he did so as a Jew, and now he, was, he had dropped that and he was purely Jewish, as was Amanda. That was his story now. Precisely. Okay. Um, that is still his story, from what I understand. Despite everything that's come out, he hasn't changed that story. Despite everything. No. No. It's quite astonishing. We're not used to people lying like this. It's not something that we're prepared for. So let's get back to your story, though, again. So Right. (laughs) So I did my own research, and I dug into their family history, and I became absolutely certain there is no way they're Jewish. No way at all. He's not a Kohen. He is not from a Moroccan family. He is not Jewish. Amanda had told people that her great grandmother fled Nazi Germany. And this was her, this was like her, I'm discovering I'm Jewish, you know, Balat de Shiva story um, that she found out that her great grandmother had fled Nazi Germany. Um, and then she did more digging into her family history and she found out the truth of all about her Jewish heritage. That's the, that, was, that had been Amanda's story. And she claimed it came from her mother's side, that she was claiming she was fully Jewish, there was no need for conversion. Right. Both of them made these claims, yeah. Yeah. But her great grandmother uh, was born in Washington state. She did not flee Nazi Germany. She didn't flee anywhere. More research done by other people at other times also sort of clarified it even more, made it even more rock solid. But uh, what I found out by myself made me, it was absolutely certain neither of them was Jewish. At that point, by the way, just to widen the story, Mm -hmm. as I'm sure you've seen last week, there was another article in the Jewish Chronicle revealing about two other couples um it's actually all part of the same story you know you pull on a thread and you and and you see so much more unravels than you expect right. these other couples are also part of his same group his chevra so to speak of undercover missionaries exactly so one of them uh jeff and kalila formerly caitlin now kalila edelman as you probably heard lived in ramat Shemesh for the last couple of months I met them both, actually, at the Elk's oldest daughter's bat mitzvah, where Jeff was introduced to me as Amanda's cousin. Uh, Amanda had mentioned him a few times. Like, I, I knew he existed. Did you meet them after Amanda had already died and you already knew the truth about the Elk's or not? No, no. I met them two years ago at the Elk's oldest daughter's bat ah, mitzvah. Ah, yes. Okay. At that point, they were engaged. Caitlin was completing her um, gear um, and living in Neve Danielle. Um, Jeff was living in Malaya Dumim, um, and Jeff was introduced to me as, as Amanda's cousin. So by the time I knew for certain that Amanda and Michael were not Jewish, and I knew for certain that they had been missionaries, although I didn't know whether it was continuing, but there was clearly a lie. I wasn't really sure what to make of Jeff and Kalilo. What did they know? Were they part of the lie or was this going to be a horrible shock to them? By this point, enough rumors had gone around. Nothing had come out in the press, but enough rumors had gone around that there was no way it was going to stay silent. It was going to come out at some Mm -hmm. point. So I felt 
it, it really wouldn't be fair, knowing what I know, not to share it with them. With Jeff and Kalila. Not to share it with Jeff and Kalila, right. exactly. So at this point, they were living down the street. <laughs> I went round, like I, I arranged a time and I went round. And down the street from you is kind of also down the street for me, I'll point out. Exactly, down the street from both of us. Um, it was quite unnerving. So I went, you know, I, I arranged a time and I went around and I said, look, I have something really difficult to tell you. It might be a really big shock to you. And and I explained, I said, look, that, you know, they, they were missionaries in the past. I They say they've done shuva. I have no idea if they've really done shuva. I don't know what that even means. How can you even say you've done shuva if you keep it a secret? How can you have done shuva from being, from believing in Jesus if you make sure that nobody ever knows that you did it? I'd spoken to my Rav and he'd said, look, at the very least, people need to know that that they had believed in Jesus and they had been missionaries. So I mentioned that and I said, look, I know for certain they're not Jewish. I told him this whole story and I said, you know, I just I don't want you to get a shock when it comes out. I don't want you to see a newspaper article or something. What was their response? Pretty unmoved. Unmoved. Now, unmoved. not surprisingly. Now, not surprisingly. Well, that was what raised suspicions. I, I, I was suspicious anyway. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. I didn't want to suspect them. It's really not nice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> suspect people. You know, they, they've seemed, they seem like really nice people. It's not nice to think that people, nice, kind, sweet people are lying to you and that they're really secret missionaries out to, you know, destroy the entire Jewish nation. You don't necessarily expect that of your neighbors. No. So I had, I had been wondering in my head, how much do they know? Are they part of this lie? Are they not? I wanted to be done. That's why I went to them. But I was also watching to see what reaction I got. And I didn't get the reaction I expected. You know, having already told a few friends, look, I need to tell you something shocking. <laughs> Everyone I told it to was shocked. And, you know, there, there's the shock and this can't be. And how does this make sense? And how do I understand this? And, uh, there was no shock, except at one moment when I mentioned that I knew that Amanda was not Jewish, Jewish. And that was the only time that Jeff, not Kalila, but Jeff looked shocked. And in retrospect, I think that's because he was shocked that I knew. Probably because that was the basis of his entire story, that he's her cousin. If she's not Jewish, then that casts aspersions upon him as well, of course. Well, I had, I, one of the many things that puzzles me, I don't understand why he, he made this lie. I mean, let me ask you first, is Jeff Jewish or not, as far as we know? No. He's not. No, he is not Jewish. And was Kalila's conversion completed, and was it a real conversion? Her conversion was completed by the Rabbanut. Whether you can consider it a real conversion, if someone converts with the express intention of trying to proselytize Jews to believe in Jesus, I mean, to me, I don't understand how you can consider that a complete conversion, but obviously that's absurd. Well, what I'm asking was, was she aware of what her husband believed, or was she in the dark as well? Right. It's a big, it's a big question. To, to me, I can't see any way she didn't know. Let me tell you, Jeff was not Jewish. He was introduced to Kalila. The match, the shidduch, was made by Amanda Elk. Okay. A um, number of years ago, while Jeff was living in Seattle and before Kalila began her conversion process. If she didn't know, it would mean that Amanda and Michael and Jeff all lied to her and manipulated her. If she's a, a sincere convert, why would she... At the very least, why would she marry someone who's not Jewish and take part in the lie? Because, right. you know, they were married here by the Rabbanut married them. So somehow Jeff fools the Rabbanut into believing that he's halakhically Jewish because it was a Rabbanut wedding. 
That's unbelievable. Either they all lied to her and manipulated her very badly, in which case I'd expect to see her distancing herself <laughs> from all of them, or she knew. And are they still in Ramat Beishemesh? Nope. They fled. They packed up two, three weeks ago. They, in a, in a real hurry, they threw everything into moving trucks. You know, they took the clothes out, the wardrobe, and they just put them straight in the trucks. Nothing was in proper boxes. Are they still in Israel? They're still in Israel because Jeff is still coming to work. So, yeah. Well, coming to work, does he work in some sort of Jewish-related thing or is it? No, no, no he works in high tech. Okay, this the story is just, it just gets stranger and stranger. It's almost unbelievable. I know, and I know. <laughs> let's go back to the Elks for a second, though. We're pulling on these threads, and there's so yes. many different threads and strands to look at. <laughs> which direction to right. go Right, so after the expose, which was people like you exposed it, it was in the Jewish Chronicle from London, there was a lot of talk about it. It was in all the Israeli papers. Now what's happening yes. to Michael Elk, formally, or I guess formally, El Cohen, as he likes to be called, <laughs> where is he now? I heard rumors he wanted to move from Apichemish as well. So as far as we know, he's still living in French Hill. His children are still in French Hill. Last week, there were a lot of sightings of him in Ramat Bet Shemesh, Ramat, particularly in Gimel. Mm-hmm. I was only able to confirm one of them. And you know how it is. People can get a bit... It's like how you see one UFO and then all of a sudden hundreds of people are seeing UFOs. So I was only able to confirm one sighting, but someone saw him in the supermarket in Gimel and went, recognized him, went up to him and asked his name. And when he, he answered, he said, get out of here. We don't want you in our community. Like, did a great job of shouting at right. him. So the supermarket in Gimel is not the biggest tourist attraction. I don't know why someone would, would turn up there. Someone who lives um, in Yerushalayim. Someone who lives in Yerushalayim. There is nothing he can't get in Yerushalayim that would need him to come to Gimel. So we have reason to suspect he's trying to move to Ramat Bet Shemesh. It's nothing beyond that. That's very, very concerning. I want to go back to the very beginning of the story. How did you first get involved to meet Amanda? I'll I'll tell you in advance. I hadn't heard of them, but my wife, Eliza, said that she had been one of the people on Facebook who saw... Many posts, I'm sure yours are among them, right? Davin for Amanda when she was dying of cancer, and my wife did, and she was part of her regular Tehillim group. She was one of hundreds of people who were part of this group. I also know that the community raised money for them because I don't know if they were destitute, but they did need money and help from the community. There was a lot of lying going on, and they got a lot of, of benefits from being part of the community through that lie. How did you first become friends with Amanda whenever it happened? I first became friends through three mutual friends. Um, through mutual friends on Facebook. She was very active on social media. And I think most of the people who got to know her first met her on, on social media. But then we became close through the time I spent with her when she was in hospital. And did you have any guess whatsoever, an inkling that something was not right? There's something no. here that's not that doesn't make sense, that doesn't add up? No, no. People ask this a lot. I have other friends who are, con- I have friends who are converts. I have friends who are Balichava. You know, I have friends who have family, who have Christian, religious Christian close family members, and they are not missionaries. So to have another friend who, okay, she has close family members who are Christian. Okay, she grew up as, in, as, a, as a Christian child. It's not even so unusual in Israel. Do you think from your research, that they were actually engaged in missionary activity? I know that's one of the questions that has been raised. Despite the fact that we now know they were lying, 
let's ignore for a moment their claim of having done tshuva. Let's just look at the fact. Were they actually actively missionizing or was it more of a long-term plan that they were undercover with some future plan to somehow infiltrate the community, but they hadn't actually done anything yet? What's your feeling about that? Right. So it's all, it's a bit more complicated. And I know uh, Rabbi Tovia Singer can explain this much better than I can. But from what I understand, their purpose was not to actively missionize or actively proselytize to people. Um, they were here to embed themselves in the community, learn what works, learn what tactics work with Orthodox Jews. And I'll give you an example. The fact that Michael knew the power of that phrase, I did shuva. This was one, you know, this was one valuable thing he learned, or maybe someone learned before him and told him. They knew the power of, you know, invoking Lashon Hara, that no one wants to talk Lashon Hara. They knew the power of that. They knew the power of not, uh, of telling people that Baalei Teshuvah are not allowed to discuss their past. Um, so they were here, that was one part of it. They were here to gather um, that kind of information and send it back to kind of missionary HQ to help other people develop better uh, missionary strategies. It's really better to think of them as spies than the classic missionary image we have of, of, of a Christian coming up to you with a New Testament and suggesting you believe in Jesus. That wasn't their modus operandi. They would also be looking for the targets. Who are the most vulnerable? What, where's, where's the underbelly? And of course, establishing their own influence, which they did, um, and again, look at Jeff. Amanda had a vast web of friends and connections. And you said that your wife was davening for her. So many people knew her. So many people cared for her and loved her. And she was in a position to bring in more people. Oh, here's my cousin, Jeff. Um, will you help him pay for his wedding? He's all alone in Israel. How many more people did they bring in? I don't know. As I said, the story just gets stranger and stranger and more unbelievable. A very close friend of mine who's involved in Jewish-Christian dialogue suggested that, I'm wondering if you agree with this or disagree with this, that when it comes to missionizing Jews, Orthodox Jews are the most difficult target. There are certain sectors of the population who unfortunately are more, I guess, amenable to that kind of message, probably because of a lack of education. But when it comes to Orthodox Jews, apparently it's well known that they are very, very difficult targets. Basically, missionaries are effectively wasting their time. And he said, therefore, Michael Elk's infiltration into the community causes halachic chaos. He was counted for a minion for many years. He was a moel. He was a sofer. All sorts of problems happen from a halachic perspective. But in terms of the even bigger issue of trying to convert Jews, he felt that that was never really a serious danger. Do you agree with that? Uh, yes and no. I agree that Orthodox Jews are the hardest target. And in fact, in one of the videos, Michael himself says that we are an underpreached community. And I think we'd like to keep it that way. I don't think, however, I think it's a mistake to underestimate the harm he's done. We tend to look around us and think of strong, educated Orthodox Jews. And I, I've even heard people going so far as to say, well, if someone if someone's taken in by this nonsense, then then that's their problem. Um, it's really, it's more insidious than you might think. Um, for example, you know that here in Ramat Bet Shemesh, there are many fine Orthodox families where there's a child who's at risk, off the derech, hanging out in the parks, 
disaffected, neglected, abused. They feel like an outsider. Are they difficult targets? I don't think so. Someone comes up to them, makes friends, has a relationship with them, introduces them to another friend. And another friend at some point says, well, how about you try my synagogue? It's a bit of a different experience. Maybe you'll like it. Hmm. I hear what you mean. It goes on from there. What about all the many people with learning disabilities and intellectual disabilities? My sister, Allah Hashalam, she had an intellectual disability. Um, I can imagine her falling for the twisted, insidious, oh, look, here's Jesus in the Torah, and here's where it proves that Jesus is Mashiach, and here's where the Rabbanim of the Gemara, um, you can see clearly they believed in Jesus. You don't stop being Jewish. This is their message. This is the message of Messianic Jews. It's not the same as your upfront Christians. They don't say, stop being Jewish, become Christian. They say, you're still Jewish. I'm Jewish. Look at me. I'm Jewish. I keep halacha. I keep Shabbat. Look at my kippah. Look at my beard. Look at my, my headscarf, whatever it might be. I fast on, on the fast. I keep the chagim, etc. All you need to do is also believe in Yeshua as the Mashiach. That's what it means to be a real Jew. Amanda, do you know much about the yeshiva? I use the word yeshiva not literally, <laughs> but the ter- the, this institution that Michael Elk started called, I believe it was called Yarim Ha'am, Yeshivat Yarim Ha'am, which was designed to train other rabbis, quote unquote, like himself. I don't know if Jeff was one of those or if others were part of that. Do you know anything about this this thing? Um, I don't know much about it beyond that I know it existed. There were not many people in it at any point. Um, I don't know that Jeff himself was in it, um, although clearly he's clearly what you could call a Talmud <laughs> of Michael uh-huh. being very close to him. And the way that he's been responding has also been the same way that Michael has been responding. I don't know if you know the, where the name of the yeshiva comes from. Please tell me. So I understand that this is an, an acronym taken from a letter that was written by Rav Kaduri, Zatzal. Before he died, he wrote this famous petek um, in which he revealed the name of the Mashiach. And it was to be opened a certain number of years after his death. And when it was opened, there were Messianic Jews who got hold of the text and they proved, in inverted commas, that the text read that it is Yeshua Hanotsri. This is a persistent myth, belief amongst Messianic Jews. They are adamant. Rav Kaduri believed in Jesus. And Michael was at the very least instrumental in helping spread that lie. Hmm. So what does that have to do with Yerim Ha'am? So that's where the name of this yeshiva comes from. It comes from um, from that petek. He took the words that Rav Kaduri used to describe, to say who the Mashiach is, and that is uh, Yerim Ha'am. You mentioned your contact with Michael just now, so I want to follow up on that. After that conversation where Michael said that he had done tshuva, have you had further contact with him once you found out more? Yeah. Yeah, I messaged him once more. Once I was certain that he was not Jewish and that all of this was a lie. And and I, like I said, I knew it would come out. And as you know, he has five children. Mm-hmm. And everyone, certainly all of Amanda's friends were concerned. We didn't want anything to backfire on the children. We really wanted to limit the damage done to the children as much as possible. They've just lost their mother. How much is this going to harm them too? 
Michael, as you may have read, had a terrible dysfunctional relationship with his parents. His father's dead anyway, his mother he hates. But Amanda had a very good relationship with her parents and, and Michael and the children all have a very good relationship with Amanda's parents. They still live on a farm in rural Washington state. So I sent a message to Michael. I said, look, it's going to come out at some point. The children are going to be ostracized. They're, it's going to backfire on them. Please take them, take them to America, take them to her parents. Let, you know, get them therapy. <laughs> Let them live a happy non-Jewish life with, you know, you'll have the family support that you need as a single parent to be able to work and care for five small children. They'll have the loving support they need is the best thing for them. I honestly, I didn't expect him to take the advice, but <laughs> at all. Um, but I did feel that I needed to to say it. That I Did he respond? Yeah. Um, he told me that it's uh, absolutely horrible that I hate Amanda so much that I want to try and harm her by spreading rumors about her children. Do you know why they haven't been deported by the Ministry of the Interior or those people who are in charge of immigration? The Ministry of Interior doesn't seem to care. That's all I can come up with. By the way, let me just mention to the listeners that he got into Israel under false pretenses. That's why they should be liable to be deported. Now, I don't know what the law would be regarding their children who presumably at least some of them were born here and therefore they're presumably Israeli citizens like it or not. Uh, Michael should be deported and whatever, I'm not an expert in criminal law, whatever the punishment is for immigration fraud should be applied to him. I know that the report reached Arya Derry weeks ago. He has all the information. He's acknowledged that he's received it. He's been advised to deal with it by Harav Yitzhak Yosef. The chief rabbi. The chief rabbi. We're talking about a person who pretended to be a Moroccan Makubal related to the Baba Sali. Now, every Mizrahi Jew I've mentioned this to has this visceral reaction of disgust. How can you traduce the name of the Baba Sali? It doesn't appear to bother Derry. We're talking about someone who spread lies about Rav Kaduri, and yet the Minister Ad Hakanim is doing nothing. One of the things that makes me very angry about this is that we rely, we as Jews in Israel, we rely on Mr. Ad Hakanim and the Rabbanut to be our gatekeepers. We already know that they give, for example, Ethiopian Olim, Russian Olim, various converts a very hard time much more than is necessary in the name of ensuring that, that you can trust that a Jew is a Jew. And yet someone like Michael was able to make Aliyah and be recognized as a halachic Jew, presenting nothing more than the Shtar Paturim from the get he gave his first wife, right? The, the, the document from, from a get and the certificate for his smicha that he got from an online smicha course. An online smicha course, I think, is actually a place in Rapid Chemish, I heard, but I'm not going to blame right, them. They don't know. It's an online they, they, smicha course. It's right, an online smicha course. You can join from anywhere in the world. It's like an open university. Why would you think that someone who has a, to adapt from an open university smicha, how does that prove that they're a Jew? Leaving everything else aside, and this isn't our topic, but it would be wrong for me not to at least mention the craziness that the Rabbanut causes so much difficulties for authentic Jews who are Ethiopian, authentic Jews who are Russian, authentic, genuine converts whom they, for whatever reason, questioned their conversion. And now for Michael Elk and Jeff, they were able to get married, etc. 
act as religious functionaries, at least in Michael's case, without a problem in Israel, with no question. To me, it speaks of a type of racism where because they probably looked the part, therefore we're going to believe them. But that really isn't our topic. It's worthwhile to do a different podcast on that. But I can't not mention that, the craziness of what's going on, that somehow they're able to get through the system that easily and the Rabbanut had no problem with it. Uh, It's just astounding in some ways, although I can't say I'm quite surprised after the number of stories I've heard in the past. It's quite astounding. We're still waiting for things to happen. The Hever Kadisha has been having a lot of trouble because, again, as you may know, Amanda Elk is buried in Hal Hamanuchot, but she is not Jewish and she's a missionary. People have been refusing to have their relatives and loved ones buried in Hal Hamanuchot in the same area as a missionary. But... I don't think the Chavra Kadisha has the authority to deal with it. I think the Rabbanut needs to address it before the Chavra Kadisha can have the authority to, to move her body. Why do you think, and maybe you can't answer this question, but why would someone like Michael, especially if you say he's a spy, he's trying to see where the weak underbelly is, and that's really his goal here. Why would he become so integrated into the community to the point of being actually a religious functionary, performing Brit Milah, pretending he's a Kohen, being a sofer, how did that benefit his mission, his his larger goals? It sounds almost crazy asking for people to find out because it's it just seems nuts. I'm not a psychologist, but I think it's some kind of psych- serious psychological issue. I think mm-hmm. it's it seems clear from everything he did. He wanted status. He didn't want to just infiltrate, claiming to be a Baltashiva or infiltrate, claiming to be a convert. He wanted status. He wanted to be a Kohen. He wanted to be a Makubal. He wanted to be a Moel. Uh, and by the way, talking about him claiming to be a Kohen, as a Kohen, he gets to bless the community every day. Mm-hmm. So I wonder in whose name he would be doing that blessing. Jews have a lot of difficulty understanding this whole approach because it seems so pointless like okay so he bless so he gets to bless people in the name of jesus like that doesn't make the slightest difference to any jew but to a to a christian yes it does jews think what what's the point of him infiltrating the community and just praying for us to convert to a jew it doesn't make any sense at all to a christian it does i know that you're still working to stop him and to stop this entire group now what's the next step what has to be done what has to be done seems to lie in the hands of, of the Misrad HaPnim and the Rabbanut. The Misrad HaChinuch, like technically speaking, I don't think schools can refuse to accept his children on the basis of them not being Jewish until their status is, is changed, until they're not down as Jewish. Because legally they're still considered Jewish by the Misrad HaPnim. Yeah, yeah. Misrad HaPnim needs to, needs, to needs to actually prosecute him for immigration fraud. And even if they don't deport him, they need to correct the records. They need to make sure he's not stalled down. Him and his children and his wife are not stalled down as Jewish. And they do you know that they haven't sure done that? They haven't done that. Nothing has happened. And again, I don't know. I assume it's the Rabbanut who has control over moving Amanda's body um, rather than the Misrad Hapnim. But her body needs to be moved from Hapamanuchot. It's a really distasteful thing to talk about. But as long as she's buried in Hal Hamanuchot, he has the proof he needs that his children are Jewish. I'll ask you one last question, Amanda. You've been very helpful in this story. You've really explained a lot to me. If you don't mind my asking how you personally feel, given your close relationship, like what's your feeling about Amanda now? Mostly angry. It was a whole series, going through a whole series of emotions. It was very painful. 
Um, I felt very much that I had lost a friend physically and then I lost her. What would you, how would you put it? <laughs> Emotionally? Altogether, perhaps. Entirely, exactly. Once, once you know that there's this massive lie, how, how can you trust the rest of the friendship? How do I know that the entire friendship wasn't just a lie based on her need to make connections for her mission for Jesus? I have no idea. Okay. Well, Amanda Bradley, thank you very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Remember to go to jewishcoffeehouse.com for lots of great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, Chuchmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, Let My People Eat, and more. You can also find my blog, The Scott Conversation, there. Please also share this podcast so we can get the word out about the Orthodox Conundrum to an even bigger audience. And please consider becoming a Jewish Coffeehouse patron by going to our Patreon page. The link is in the description of this podcast. You can get extra episodes, articles, merch, and more while also supporting our work. So please check it out today. I'm Scott Kahn, and this has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com. <laughs>